Well, welcome to uh, Somos Community Church. My name is Aaron. Um, if you're new here, welcome. If you're watching online, welcome. Uh, we love you. We're glad you're here. A um, couple things I wanted to remind you. Uh, next week, we are having the men's breakfast on Saturday. Let me get, there you go. And I'm not saying that we're going we're gonna to have tom uh, tomahawk steaks. We might. Okay. We might not. But, you know, show up anyway for, for the food and the, uh, the, the message. Um, We've got some uh, opportunities to give. Uh, if you saw the slide earlier, there's five ways. Uh, one of them is in your envelopes in front of you and a little box in the back. And then also uh, there's a yellow connection card that's on the screen as we speak. If you make a decision, if you uh, wanna get to know uh, the pastor and the staff here, fill that out, put that in the box in the back. Um, but just welcome. Let's, let's take a minute to pray. Father, you are good, and you are worthy of all the adoration and glory that we could muster. Father, we uh, present our hearts vulnerable this morning. Do what only you can do. Mold us, shape us. You are the good, good Father. Father, we know that you want to accomplish something today. So we just want to say yes. I pray for the people here in this room. I pray for the people that are under the sound of my voice. Bless them, Father. Encourage them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us. Oh. Uh -huh. 
Us from the book of Joshua in the Bible, and then 
Um, I hope you're reading along and studying with them. Um, it's always been about faith. It, even back that long time ago, where people had to cross a river, God stopped the water. They had to put their feet in there to believe it. That, so it's, faith is still um, faith in this awesome God that we have. And so, um, and deciding that you're going to do that, that you're going to put your faith in, that, in him. And, you, and we do that daily. So we're going to sing some songs here uh, a little different than we normally do. Some older tunes, and uh, hopefully you remember them. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven. Thank you for those songs of promise 
and certainty in who you are and what you have done and what you are doing and what you're going to do, Lord, in our lives. We praise you and thank you. Lord, we uh, are anxious to hear from our pastor as he teaches us from your word and this amazing book of Joshua. Father, we pray that um, the words he speaks, the things we hear will change our lives and you will mold us into being the person that you want us to be through the power of your Holy Spirit and an understanding of your word. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here today. Good to see everyone, the services. And if you got your Bible, uh, will you turn to the, to the sixth book in the Bible? That's uh, the sixth book, which is, as Joe said, the book of Joshua. So the sixth book of Joshua. And, and then I say Joshua, and Joshua leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's taking care of kids. He got text. All right, I want to say before we get into the message this morning, <clears throat> so um, next Sunday, excuse me, uh, our former pastor Dennis Carlson and his son uh, Jerry are going to be with us, and, uh, and I think that we're going to use Jerry and some of the music uh, next week, and uh, just looking forward to the great man of God, just a wonderful uh, family, and he poured his heart out in this ministry years ago, and we get the benefit of all those, Sue and others, who have uh, literally laid the foundations for what we are building on, not physically, I mean physically and spiritually as well. So we appreciate that. So I'm looking forward to uh, Dennis Cross. I'll be preaching, but uh, Lord willing, I'll be preaching, and Dennis and his son will be involved in the service as well. I also want to encourage you to sign up for Class 101 uh, coming up May 12th. This is open for everyone. It's on a Wednesday night. Class starts at 6 p.m. And you say, well, why should I give up my Wednesday night? Well, there's nothing good on TV on Wednesday night. I know that. Mm. So, but, uh, and if you are uh, new to uh, uh, SCC, this class will give you what you need to know to assimilate into our church family. It's kind of like an orientation. You know, when you go, you, you, if you have kids, you put your kids in school and always have an orientation class and to just uh, give you what's up ahead and how the year's going to go. So this is what this means. Uh, we'll give our church history a little bit about that. Only the good parts, right? <laughs> we'll only put the good parts out there. But, uh, and the, the, the good parts are God parts, what, what God has done. We'll teach our beliefs and share the vision that God has given us and uh, to just share what's up ahead, what, what the future might look like here at SEC. And, uh, and if you're already a church family, you know, you belong to the family, you already remember, uh, I encourage you still to take the class. It's, it's one of the newest things that we're going to go forward with with these classes. There are four of them, so class 101. Not that you have to take all four of them, but I would encourage you to take this class 101 and check it out. And I think that you'll learn something. And plus, just building the relationship with, uh, with other people, with new people. Uh, and also, you can, uh, you, you'll know what it's about. So when somebody new comes, they say, hey, have you taken class 101? I know what this is about. Let me share with you what it's about. And so um, I think that's the value of that as well. There's no cost. There's a sign-up at the information booth. Uh, 
if you uh, would do that, that way uh, help us prepare because there is a workbook that we'll be printing. So Joshua chapter 3, be strong and courageous. I believe we can all relate to Joshua. God didn't say that for, for no reason. He knew that Joshua was a little fearful, need to be encouraged. I think we can relate to that. I know we can. I, I know we, I, I can. You know, as God leads me in steps and going forward, you know, I, I need to be encouraged about the will of God. Maybe you, you even need to be encouraged to come today. So, you know, these strange people and that ugly-looking pastor up there, my goodness, that takes courage just to come in and stare at him for an hour, you know, or half hour. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but I want you to know, God has given me a lot of grace to look back at you. I just want to say that. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, some of the ugliest people are right up front. <laughs> uh, all the beautiful people are on Facebook Live, just want you to know. <laughs> We wrestle with things. Yeah, you might be here and God is leading you to do something. And I already talked to somebody about, you know, this morning starting a small group. And no doubt that's something that we wrestle with, the way God leads us forward. Faith is not natural. It's not natural to trust in something you can't see or figure out that's a mystery to you. And so we can understand what Joshua was going through. And uh, so uh, let's talk about uh, Joshua. Let's read a few verses here in Joshua chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> then Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Shittim. <laughs> I just think that's a play on words for the English language. That God has a sense of humor. Get away from this place and go to this place, all right? And they came to the Jordan. Now, they went to by the Jordan, the Jordan River. From the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, there's a Jordan River. It stops at the Dead Sea. He and all the people of Israel launched there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officer went through the camp commanded the people, and as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God, being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance from you, about 2,000 cubits, which uh, it's like a half a mile. It's quite a distance. So do not come near it. And the reason is because I want you to say in clear, in order that you may know the ways you should go. So it's very clear. It's out there. It's not, you know, they all could see at a half mile the whole crowd whole group could see this. This is a large group, about two million people. They could see that. And he says, for you have not passed this way before. This is new territory for them. God is leading them into something that's new. They'd never been before. This is the book of Joshua. And Joshua said, the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He'll cleanse your heart. Get your, get your thoughts right. Get your heart and where it should be, your focus where it needs to be, your attitude straight, because God's going to do something, and you've got to be right there ready to go forward. Joshua said to the priest, take up the ark 
of the covenant and passed on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. It's already been said, faith in God is the theme of Joshua. Joshua, there's, there's no faith that Joshua ceases to be. No, the book of Joshua ceases to be. And one of the things as we look at, so the key for the forward momentum in the book of Joshua is faith. It's one step of faith after another step of faith after another step of faith after another step of faith. It's a continual faith walk. And this is the way we are as believers. We have one step of faith. You're, you're either have just recently taken a step of faith or you're getting ready to take a, take a step of faith, or you're in this process of right now, or, or, some, or the, there's something coming up ahead. You're, we're always at, in this faith walk as a believer. So you think about this. Your faith in God pleases him. God who doesn't need anything, he's, he's self-sufficient, and yet he smiles. He, he, is, we, he is pleased by our faith in him. Your faith in God will make the impossible possible. Your faith will move obstacles that are like the size of mountains. Your faith will cause you to be an overcomer. You, the tiny seed of faith, the little bit of faith that you have in God will grow into something bigger than life itself. Beyond anything that you could imagine could happen to you in your life as we put our faith in God. Now, last week we looked at Joshua chapter 2. We were saved by faith, and by faith we enter into salvation like Rahab. Like Rahab, Hebrews eleven thirty one says this about Rahab. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. There wasn't anything immoral here. It was just that she was kind to them, and God worked, and God touched her heart, and she became a follower of God, Rahab. We talked about that last week, and uh, what a great uh, legacy that she uh, had after she married Bo Boaz. Rahab was saved by faith. It's not by her character or religious work. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 clearly says, for by grace we have been saved. And how have we been saved? Through faith. That is not your own doing, in the, is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Every person that's in this room, every person that's hearing my voice, if you're saved, you're saved by faith. No one is saved outside of faith, is by a faith in what God has already provided that we are saved. We are saved in Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, which is the good news, the gospel. Now, if you notice, my wife isn't here today, and um, she's in Kansas. She flew out Thursday morning. Her father is uh, a believer and a godly man, and and, uh, you know, he's getting at the end of his life. And so she was called back there. And he woke up this morning. My wife was saying that this day could be the day. He said, I just feel like this is the day. And he was in such great spirits. And uh, so I was FaceTiming her, and I said, uh, she said, well, why don't you talk to him? So I talked to my father-in-law. His name's Lauren. And with a big smile... He said, listen, Gary, he said, if you hear a loud shout, it's me praising God. Now, I don't know. 
Maybe he's just glad to be out of the same world that I am as son-in-law. I don't know. <laughs> now, he's looking forward to going to heaven. So then he teared up and said, it says, Easter Sunday night, April 17th, 1960, Anaheim, California. He said, when I knelt down and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. God saved me and has blessed me all these years, and I'm ready to go home. God saved my father-in-law by faith. Just like Rahab and just like every person who comes to God, it is by faith. And so we have, the, we have a picture of salvation in chapter 2, and then we move into chapter 3. And after we are saved, we walk by f- faith. Our walk with Jesus is a faith walk. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Paul wrote, writes therein, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So we are saved by faith and we are to walk by faith. If you're a believer, your life has been a life of faith in God, believing that God can make the, make the impossible possible. You know, I want, to, I want you to get this, and, and I remember learning this many years back, and it changed my life as a believer. I came to the realization, how you enter into salvation is the same way you're to live your life. We are saved by faith. We're to walk by faith. We don't earn our salvation. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor that God gives us. He meets us where we're at and saves us if we'll put our faith in his what Christ has done on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. How we enter in salvation is the same way we are to live our life. So how you came to Jesus, you realize that it was the end of yourself, and it was all God, that's salvation. And how we walk in our life, It's the same way we end ourselves, we're dead to ourselves, and it's all about God and what he's doing through us to move us forward. And so here's the children of Israel. They're at this Jordan River. It's decision time. We've got to go through this river. We're going to go to the promised land. There's Jericho. There's other places to go. There's the enemy. There's 30-something kings that are enemies of the children of Israel that they will have to fight. This is all new territory for them. And they proceed by faith. You know, it's interesting the you know, go back to this place called Shittim. It's, um, it's actually, that's a Hebrew word for Achaia. It's an Achaia grove. The area known, uh, this area that they are moving from is so named because of the abundance of the Achaia wood. And this was also a place in Numbers 25. I'll just give you a reference. You can read it later. It's a place where they were Baal worship, and it brought the nation of Israel into a very low, immoral state because of Baal. And it happened in the same grove. So not only that, which dragged the children of Israel, but interesting. The Ark of the Covenant, which is the thing that was to, uh, half a mile ahead that was to go to the river, and they were to follow it, is the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. And this Ark of Covenant is made out of Achaia wood. 
the very wood in this grove. In fact, all the wood in the temple was out of kaya wood. And, uh, and so the ark being built of these same trees that were used for idol worship was meant to reinforce the understanding that moral failure was not a function of trees, but a matter of choice. And in this Ark of Covenant, there was the golden pot that had manna and the Aaron's rod that budded and the, table, uh, the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments that Moses got there on the mountain. And they were in this Ark. And as they went forward, representing the presence, but also representing the power of God. And today, if you are a believer, your body is the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy Spirit dwells within. The presence of God dwells within. And wherever you go, the presence of God goes with you, and the power of God goes with you because God is in you. The presence of God was there with the children of Israel. It's an important site as we think about this. We'll say more about this in the next week or so. The Jordan River where they cross over to Jericho is a place where, where uh, there were some significant things happened. In that time, in, in the area of the Jordan uh, River where Jesus was baptized, and, and uh, so some significant things. The thing that I want to just say right here is that the Jordan River in the scriptures represents, um, it's symbolic of a spiritual truth. It's crossing over. When I talked to my father-in-law this while ago, it, it was, you know, he's getting ready to pass over into the next life, to, to the promised land, heaven itself. Heaven is promised to every believer. So it's symbolic here. And, and so we read physically, yes, but symbolic, there's some spiritual truths that as Israel was led forward. And God could have led them around the Dead Sea, but he chose to go through the river. And by faith, God leads us through and not around obstacles. I think he does that to encourage us. I think he does that to, to demonstrate the power of God, the testimony of God faithfulness to us. It's always a defining moment, the test of their faith. I think God knew that because there were some great battles ahead, and they needed to have that under their belt, so to speak, and have that experience that God could take care of us at the Jordan River, and he did a, a wow thing there that he certainly can do that in the future. On Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, by uh, Lord willing, we're going to talk about um, a crisis of our beliefs. And Blackaby has a great uh, uh, template that talks about the pattern that we go through in defining our moment. We go through a crisis of belief. We'll talk about that Wednesday night if you'd like to join us at 6 o'clock. It's a defining moment for the nation of Israel. We have those moments where, where we're, we're right there and we're wrestling and maybe you're at a defining moment or getting ready to go into a defining moment that, that it's going to define what's going to happen, your experiences with God. I remember when I was uh, 15 years old, I remember a defining moment in my life where I was wrestling with um, taking the path that most of my friends and was popular and just it was, the, it was the path of the world. And God was speaking to me during that time. He brought things in my life, including my wife and, and uh, some other friends that said, no, take that straight and narrow path. And I remember wrestling with that. And one of the defining moments in that time period was... And for you, it may not mean anything, but for me, it was really significant because 
I, by nature, especially when I was growing up, was an introvert, and I like to be in front of people, couldn't talk, all those things. I still can't. But I remember in a, in a choir practice, when they had choir back there, I was, remember I was standing back there, and God spoke to me and says, I want you to go up in that choir. And they were already having choir practice. And I wrestled with, you know, crossing from there to there in front of the whole choir. And there was about 40, 50 people in the choir. And I, I've never been in a choir before, and God just spoke to me. And it's kind of like, you know, God was saying, oh, listen, I want you to do this because this is the way I want you to live your life. Just trust me. I'm going to take you from one, one place to another place, and it's all going to be a place where you haven't gone before. And so I didn't do it right away, but a few weeks later, man, God just wouldn't. And I remember during choir practice, everybody up there, and my dad was the pastor as well, and so I wrestled with all that. And I remember walking as a 15-year-old up to the adult choir, got in over where I should be, and started singing. It was a defining moment for me publicly. I had crossed something. Yes, already in my heart, but physically it, it, it was as a testimony to what was in my heart. I think the children of Israel was there, and, and this was a, a defining moment for them. Whether they were going to go forward, or like their generation before, or were they going to disbelieve God and not trust God? So Joshua said in verse 6 again, it says, To the priests, take up the Ark of Covenant, pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of Covenant and went before the people. This is the presence of God. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that you may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters, Jordan, you shall stand in Jordan. And this... This miracle here, this, this step of faith was going to emphasize or to put Joshua in the forefront that this is my stamp of approval. Follow Joshua. He was following me. And so uh, this was the way of God was showing his approval. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and all the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel. From each tribe, man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord and the Lord and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing of the waters coming down from above shall shall stand in one heap. Faith in God always require an element of the unknown. It's a mystery. Under under. We can't explain it. It's not, not something that we cannot understand. It doesn't make sense. It's like when, when uh, knowledge or academics and faith will collide. What we know of ourselves or have experienced will not be compatible when we put, uh, place our faith in God and follow him by faith. It wasn't until the souls of the priest 
had put their feet in the water when God parted the water. And here's the thing, in faith, you won't know how it's going to work out. You won't see it. You can't say, okay, God, you know what, well, if I see you move things in places, and I can, I, you know, just start maybe like a, like a little bump in the water there, so I'll know that you're really, and then I'll put my faith, foot there. No, God says, your action treasure, triggers the action of God. Let's go on and read verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of and the feet of those priests bearing the ark was dipped into the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is called Bezetheron, and who's flowing down towards the Sea of Abra, and the salt sea was completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was, pa was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Amazing event. Wouldn't it be cool to have been there crossing the Jordan River on dry ground? Wouldn't it be cool to see that? To see a, a river that parts and then people go across? I wondered if there was some young man or some young lady was crossed and said, oh, this is wonderful, this is great. And, and then she thought, oh, I wish my parents could have been here. I wish they would have trusted God. I wish my grandparents could have experienced this. I don't... I just imagine it, as there were some thoughts of that, how that God was faithful and to perform what he had promised to the children of Israel. And this was a defining moment for Israel. Would they trust God and enter all that God had promised them, or would they choose to walk by sight and wander aimlessly like the other generation, the, old, the, the generation that passed there in the book of Deuteronomy. My friend, your faith defines your experience with God. Your faith defines your experience of God. I have something I'm going to read you, and it's, it's lengthy, so, but I'm impressed to read this. We've all heard about Billy Graham, great evangelist. Have you heard about his friend Charles Templeton? Or he would be um, known as Chuck. I want to read you a tale of two friends that similar to what happened with the children of Israel in Deuteronomy and the children of Israel in Joshua. The two friends, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, I had two different paths. It was written by Alan Bean. It was August of 1949, and Billy Graham had never been so depressed. Twelve years after surrendering to preach on a Florida golf course, the evangelist was wrestling with doubts. He had been reading critics that were liberal in their theology who freely admitted that the Bible is riddled with errors and, and internal contradictions. 
But the nub of Graham's problem lay closer to home. For the past four years, Graham had been working with Chuck Timmelton, a brilliant, strikingly handsome preacher from Canada. As an evangelist for a fledgling youth, uh, youth for Christ ministry, Graham and Templeton had conducted a series of widely successful cr crusades in the post-war in Europe in 1945, and had been fast friends ever since, Billy Graham and Chuck Templeton. Uh, Charles Templeton was fresh from his first year at Princeton Theology Seminary and was full of questions about the Bible and things. And there was a professor there that stirred up those questions. Can the Bible be trusted because it's got errors in it? Well, Chuck and Billy had been invited to speak at a forest home, and it happened to be uh, here in, uh, uh, in uh, California. as a retreat center established by the First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood a decade earlier. Soon after the arrival, Templeton told Graham that his preaching was hopelessly out of date. Can you imagine telling Billy Graham, your preaching is old? Templeton argued, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world was not created over a period of days, a few thousand years. It was evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculating. It's a fact, said Templeton to Billy Graham. And Billy Graham replied stoically. He said, I don't accept that. And there are reputable scholars who don't. Templeton replied, who are these scholars? Men in conservative Christian colleges? That question stung Billy Graham. Graham admitted most of them, yes. But that's not the point. He goes on to say, I believe, Billy Graham says, I believe the Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. I've discovered something in my ministry. And when I take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say, God says, or the Bible says, the Holy Spirit uses me. The, there are the results. Wiser men than, than you or I have been arguing questions like this for centuries. I don't have the time or intellect to examine all sides of theological dispute, so I've decided once for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's word. Templeton interjected. But, but Billy, Billy, you can see him shake his head. You can't do that. You don't dare stop thinking about the import, most important questions of life. Do it and begin to die. It's an intellectual suicide. Graham answered, I don't know about anybody else, but I've decided that that's the path for me. What happened next is the stuff that the, evangel the evangelical legend of, uh, made of. Graham had put up in a brave front with his Canadian friend, but the confrontation left him stunned. Again, this is Billy Graham, the great evangelist. His first instinct was to seek the counsel of Henrietta Mears, the celebrated Bible teacher and evangelical visionary who had founded the Forest Home 10 years early, bold, confident, brimming as always with the evangelical energy, Mears was just the tonic Graham needed. The inerrancy of the scripture was the bedrock of Christianity. She reminded the young evangelist, undermine that foundation and the whole edifice collapse. One day, evening, Graham picked up his Bible. 
wandered alone into the rugged hill country surrounding Forest Home. He spotted an old stump by the side of the path. Graham laid open down his Bible and, and laid it open and began to pray. And these are his words. As he prayed by that stump, he said, Oh God, there are many things in this Bible I do not understand. There are many problems with it, for I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that I do not seem to correlate with the modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical or psychological questions that Chuck and others are raising. This was a defining moment of faith for one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. In his prayer, he goes on, he says, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. Defining moment that defined his life because of faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And with these words, Graham felt the Spirit of God flooding his soul, and when he addressed the Forest Home audience the following evening, Henrietta Mears knew she was listening to a new man. There was a confidence, a sense of authority to his preaching that was utterly new and powerful. It said a month later, the response to Graham's Los Angeles crusade at that time was so overwhelming that organizers were forced to add several nights to accommodate the crowds. And Billy Graham never looked back, as the children of Israel did when they crossed the Jordan River. And we've all heard of Billy Graham. We've maybe even heard of him or saw him on television, maybe even seen him in person. He's one of the most famous American 20th century preacher, certainly in the top 10. But what happened to Chuck Templeton? Have you heard of him? Listen to a sad tale of a man who questioned his faith. Templeton was saved earlier in his adulthood. After being saved, he resigned his job as a sports cartoonist, bought an old car, and started preaching wherever he could go and get an open pulpit. His reputation grew rapidly and soon found himself turning down invitations. Eventually, he married his winsome soloist, the audacious couple eager to do great things for God, purchased an abandoned church in Toronto. The church filled to capacity in a matter of months. It burned to the ground, and the congregation rebuilt it again. But Templeton started to read critics of the Bible and started to question God. He questioned his faith in the Bible. His faith in the Bible and God started to erode. And during these years, Templeton was searching for a message that was biblical, inspiring, intellectual, respectable, trying to mesh the intellect and the faith together with the Scriptures and unlike Graham, he didn't want to commit intellectual suicide by falling on God's two-edged sword, but he wanted to change people. He wanted to make them better, stronger, more positive, effective, and hopeful. He said, move past that Jesus died on the cross to save your soul from hell. 
Templeton's new and improved gospel is little more than a means to an end and a sure fire path to happiness. And deep down, the visions lived that wasn't enough. Later, Templeton decided to quit preaching. He left the church, renounced his faith, and he moved from New York to Toronto. And in 1977, Jane Paul, the interviewer with Templeton on the Today Show, said to uh, Templeton, I understand you're an atheist, she said. I explained that. No, I wasn't an atheist, but an agnostic. So he had gone from this to an agnostic, a very different thing. I really don't think, I really don't want to get into it. We've only seven minutes. I wanted to promote the book. I've come 500 miles to do that. She uh, replied, but, but you don't believe in God? Nor I do disbelieve, he said. I just don't know. But you're a preacher. He said, yes, I was. Well, then let me ask you, are you happy? How can you be? She was doing her 24-hour care earnest bit, looking deep into the eyes. And Temple said, and I looked back at her just for a moment and irritated and tempted to say, he said, you silly girl, what in God's name was, has believing to God to, to, to do with being happy? There are many other parts of the story, but I'm close it, and I'll, I'll put a full um, thing in the newsletter if you'd like to read more about this. But in 1995, six years before his death, Canada's, fam Canada's famous apostate penned his final book. He wrote several books, argued about faith in God. Can God be trusted? His final book was this. In 1995, was called Farewell to God. How could, a, how could the children of Israel see all the things that happened in Egypt? And the Pharaoh and the, the, the pulling out of Egypt with the great miracles and then go and then not believe God. And yet another group can, can go forward and, and, and do wonderful things. Faith is important, my friend. Your faith in God defines your experience with God. So he wrote this book, Farewell to, Farewell to God, a thoroughly, a thoroughly derivative rehashing well-known arguments with Robert Ingersoll, Bertrand Russell, and the usual list of suspects that, that were critics of God and the Bible. The book, Lack of Originality, may have been an early sign of Alzheimer's disease that raised its ugly head shortly after Farewell to God appeared in print. Templeton fought the miserable disease with, with all he could muster, even asking people to feed him complex words so he could spell them backwards. This discipline worked beneficial, his family believes, but nothing could stop the deadly advance of this mind-destroying disease. And three years after Farewell to God appeared in bookstore, another man appeared. Perhaps you know him. Lee Strobel, Case for Christ. An American apologist, religious writer, called Templeton, requested an interview. The old man, now in his third marriage, Templeton in his third marriage, and given to intermittent periods of confused depression, gave his grudging accent, accent to the interview. Strobel, who had made the auto, uh, traumatic transition from an 
being an agnostic to evangelical Christianity, wanted to know why a former associate of renowned Billy Graham would take the reverse trek. The American was greeted at the door by Templeton's wife, Madeline, who wasn't at all sure her husband was up for a lengthy interview, but Charles made an entrance wearing brown pajamas and a house coat and settled into a comfortable chair. The interview took a predictable course with a renowned skeptic. Templeton stumbled over a word or two, sometimes forgot a familiar name, but his command of language remained strong, his wit intact. And finally, after a series of softball questions, Lee Strobel cut to the chase. What did Templeton make of Jesus? Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he had suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old dear friend, his voice, which at times had displayed about a sharp instant edge, now took on a melancholy, reflective tone. His guard seemed down. He spoke in unhurried pace and almost and carefully choosing his word as he talked about Jesus. He began. Temple said, he was the greatest human being who has ever lived. He's a moral genius. His ethical sense was a unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person ever encountered in my life or my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much of the determinant of the world. What could one say about him except that he, this was a form of greatness? Strobel said, I was taken back. You sound like you really care about him. Well, yes, he's the most important thing in my life, came his reply. I, 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 he stuttered, searching for the right words. He said, no, May Strounds. But I have to say, I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. And tough, just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People didn't think of him that way. They don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and, and exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least uh, he had the greatest compassion of any human being in history, and he declared, in my view, he is the most important human being who ever existed. And if I may put it this way, he said it in a voice, and he began to crack. I miss him. Your faith defines your experience with God. Templeton, with tears flooded his eyes, he turned his head, looked downward, raising his left hand to shield his face. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. Templeton fought to compose himself. I could tell it wasn't like him to lose control. Finally, quietly, he insisted, that's enough, and stopped the interview. In Templeton's view, you either believed in the God of Billy Graham, or if you raised too many logical and ethical questions, you said farewell to God altogether. Your faith defines your experience with God. So one more story I want to share with you about Charles Templeton at the last day on earth. All morning, as he was getting ready to pass into eternity, he was combative, angry, and lashing out the hospice nurses charged with his care. When Madeleine arrived, Charles sat back in his, in his bed, and he was breathing sl slowed. 
Tom Harper for the Toronto Star gives this. Suddenly, Madeline said he became very animated, looking intensely towards the ceiling room, his eyes shining more blue than it had seen ever before. And he cried, look at them. Look at them. They're so beautiful. They're waiting for me. Oh, their eyes, their eyes are so beautiful. Then with great joy in his voice, he said, I'm coming. And Charles Templeton died the following day. Two friends, both who I believe were believers and both who I believe are in heaven. But one took a path that didn't understand everything about it, didn't understand how he could cross some of these obstacles, but he just went through by faith, I'm going to trust God. And the outcome are drastic with two different extremes. And the children of Israel wandered about in Deuteronomy aimlessly. Purpose, because of the, they didn't trust God, their, their faith. They didn't believe that God would give them this. God raises a new generation who went forward by faith. Your faith in God defines which book describes your best. This old preacher talk a lot about faith. How do you have faith? Well, it's very simple. It's not complex. I love that God makes it things simple for us to grasp, to, to hang on to. And Paul said it real clear in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, the ear receives the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we hear it, as we let it be there, the power of God takes that, and faith begins in the hearer. Pete Briscoe writes it this way and puts it, well, well then, what well, then is faith? It's a decision of the will to act on what the mind believes is true. The mind reads something in Scripture, and, and our spirit, the Holy Spirit, says, yes, that's true, and we say, yes, that's true. We're in agreement to what the Holy Spirit is saying, that is true. This is true. My spirit, my will, then in our will, we make a choice to step out in that truth. That step is faith. There's no power in faith itself. The power is found in the object of faith, Jesus Christ. So I leave you, my friend, as, as a, like a choice. It's defining that to be a people, to be a person that will choose to walk in faith and experience amazing things in our life as a believer. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? And invite the worship team to come up at this time. Your faith is in proportion to your connection with the Word of God. You have a strong connection with God's Word. You're learning more about God, and by that, your faith is increasing, is growing. And faith cometh by hearing, and that hearing is, comes by the Word of God. So first of all, I want to challenge you as believers as if you're 
searching and check it into what this thing about being a Christian is all about. Be like those priests. Put your, put your feet in God's word and see how it moves you across. See how God opens up things in your life. But you got to put yourself in God's word. You, you got to put, put your, your feet in there. And, and then once you do that, the spirit of God will use that. Your faith will grow. And you will see amazing things happen in our, in our life as your faith, as you go forward with God. Where the impossible is made possible because of our faith. This isn't about relying on a, a to-do a do-good list of things to do. No, it's, it's, it's beyond that. It's, it's about this relationship with God that by putting our faith and our trust in God, allowing His Word open up our hearts to Him. The power of God is demonstrated. We'll do that. If you're here this morning, you do not know Christ as your Savior. I invite you this time to open up your heart. Believe what the scripture says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Put your faith in God's word. Fathers, we come to you at this time as a defining moment for many of us. Right now. I pray that we'll be willing to go forward with how God is leading us. And if that person here is wrestling with whether they're saved tonight, that they would not leave this place without getting and knowing that, God, you are their Savior. There is a believer here that's struggling with their faith, and they're, they're wandering aimlessly around. Maybe it's been a short time, and maybe they just... Maybe it's been them years. I haven't seen God work. I, I, you know, maybe once they did. But God, you would speak to us that we would be willing to put our feet in whatever that is that God is leading us to do. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing an old hymn. To, called Just As I Am, where God wants to meet you right where you're at. Now, we have some people that are ready to pray for you. And they're going to be in the back there, maybe on the side. And if you'd like to move to them and pray with them, and if you're here without knowing Jesus, I would encourage you. You'd be one of the first ones to go over and say, would you share Jesus with me? Would you pray with me? And so those people are going to, right now, they're going to be back there. They're going to move back there. And, and while as we sing this song, we want you to move uh, back to them and pray with them, okay? Would you do that? If you've got something on your heart, they will pray with you as we sing. We have some people that are going to be right back there. They'll, they'll be there ready for, to pray with you if you like to. Oh, shit.
him and he will meet you there and he will lead you to some amazing things if you're unsure of your salvation you're unsure where your relationship with God please open your heart to him Listen, if we can help you in any way, I'm going to be back there as well. There's connection cards, and, and we want you to help you in your, in your walk with faith, in your journey with faith. Don't hesitate to trust God. Never hesitate to trust God. Believe Him, as we just sang. I want to sing one more song as we close out the service this morning. God bless you. I have decided. 